are listening to Stomp Tokyo, the cult movies podcast. My name is Chris Holland. I'm Scott Hamilton. And, you know, we haven't really talked about, you know, it's called the cult movies podcast, but we talk about a lot of things other than movies. True. Um, I don't know. I, I don't even think it's really worth a change in name to say it's the pop culture podcast or anything like that, but I think cult movies sort of gets to the heart of it, yeah? Yeah, I mean, it's it's what we're interested in, and everything is kind of tangentially related to that in one way or another. Right. Um, I, we haven't gotten any feedback on that because we don't have any listeners, but, uh, you know, I, I can imagine someone might object on the grounds that a lot of the movies we talk about might be genre but aren't necessarily cult. Yeah, but I don't know. Cult movies is a pretty wide pretty wide category yeah and um, yeah yeah and it sounds better than the genre movies technology and general pop culture podcast yes it's trips off the tongue a lot easier yeah. okay well that's all i had to say about that it's something i've been thinking about okay well actually let me just throw out a completely non-cult movies topic real quickly uh, By all means. Did you did you hear the newest Doctor Who news that broke like an hour ago? I did not hear the newest Doctor Who news that broke like an hour ago. On Twitter, of course. Um, I mean, we don't we don't know anything, and probably by the time we actually get this posted, uh, we'll probably have a better idea of what's going on. But uh, Stephen Moffat just asked all of his followers to follow Sophia Miles. Okay. Uh, do you know who she is? I do not, but I have a feeling you're about to tell me. Well, she was in uh, she was in uh, the was it second season of Doctor Who? Uh, she played Madame de Pompadour in the Girl in the Fireplace. Oh, right. And she was also in Underworld. She was in a TV show called uh, Moonlight. Okay. Or not Moonlight? What was that called? I think it was called Moonlight. Um, okay. The one with the vampire. And uh, she hasn't done a whole lot since. Like, 2006 was, like, her really big, big year. Uh-huh. And then I, I don't I don't know that she's done almost anything since, like, since Moonlight. Um, so, yes, I mean, it, it, people are reading the tea leaves for that to mean that, that Sophia Miles may be playing the next companion after Rory and Amy leave. Hmm. Um, okay. I would be all for that because I like Sophia Miles a lot. Sorry, just hopping onto Twitter to go check out Moffat's Twitter stream. Well, right now his Twitter stream is is carnage. But uh, yeah, I, I looked through a little bit and Sophia is saying stuff like it's an epic day and, <laughs> you know, it, it it sounds like uh, it sounds like something is going on. There. Wait, Moffat tweeted this? Cause I no, oh. Sophia Miles did. Oh, OK. All right. Never mind. Um, I, I, I'm not going to get distracted while recording, but I'll look at that later. But so he, he asked people to follow her? Yes. And that was how long ago? Not very long. Okay. Hours in any case. All right, because the, the last tweet I see from him is like six hours ago, and it wasn't, uh, I didn't see anything related to that. Anyway, oh. maybe he deleted that tweet. Who knows? No, I saw it. I. Well, let me bring it up and see how long ago it was. It hasn't been long in any case. Right. Well, I mean, the question is, would she be playing Madame de Pompadour again? Who, of course, 
you know, the big part of Girl in the Fireplace was she died at the end, that the doctor never saw her again. Mm -hmm. Or would she be playing a different character? Got it. I mean, there are precedents for either way. Gotcha. That's, there's an easy segue from that to the other series that, that Moffat writes that I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit, and that's sure. uh, Sherlock. Yes. Um, and you haven't seen the second episode yet, but you've seen the first one. Yes, um, and we're talking about the second season. Which the is second scary. season of Sherlock, which is um, Stephen Moffat's and Mark Gaddis's adaptation of Sherlock Holmes into modern times. Um, if you're not one of those people who... Um, Acquires your television through legal means um, and watches only on Netflix or whatever. I believe the first season's available on Netflix now, yes? Yes, yes it is. Um, and it's been on PBS. It's, you know, one of those British shows that you have to work really hard to watch if you want to see it when it comes out in the UK, but eventually it makes its way over. Yeah, um, the second season will be airing on Masterpiece Theatre in March, I think. Right, so... Um, what it's kind of characteristic of Moffat's style in that, you know, the characters have really great dialogue and Sherlock himself is kind of a jerk. Um, jerk is not the word I wanted to use there, but I want to save Scott a little editing time. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I like. I mean, I think Holmes was kind of always a jerk, but... Uh, yes. Um, yeah, and, and and without a without a di- without a doubt, he is he is not a socially intelligent person. It seems as intelligent as he, as he is in every other way. Right. So anyway, so the second season follows up on on the promise of uh, the first season pretty well. I was a little worried we were going to get sort of a, a Jekyll, you know series where we had a few really good strong episodes and then nothing yeah no but they renewed it for a second series and it looks just as good um without spoiling too much i think christina was um kind of upset at the the ending where holmes rescues a character and sort of out of like i don't know i think she kind of questioned his ability to show up at that particular place at that particular time. Does that make any sense? I guess. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, he he shows up in in Iraq basically or Afghanistan or something. I think it was supposed to be Pakistan, but yes. yes, yes. And and rescues, you know, this woman at the very last moment from being beheaded. And, you know, because he was like, this guy is super smart. Yes. But nothing, nothing he does leads us to indicate that he could, Spur of the moment, organize an airlift to Afghanistan. <laughs> um, no matter how much he liked the girl. Yeah, I mean, I had some questions as to whether or not that was something that actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um, that that might have been something that happened in his imagination. Right. Um, is one interpretation of what happened there. Um I don't know. I didn't think it was a. I didn't think it was a deal killer. I mean, it certainly seemed to imply that if that really did happen, then he had been following her around, right, um, for a while. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I'm looking at this Sophia Miles thing. This yeah, he sex- tweeted that two days ago. Two days ago, but for some reason, 
people oh. only noticed it now. Right. Well, at least the news sites. So we're recording on the 13th, Friday the 13th. Yes. And he he tweeted that people should follow her two days ago, and now she and then she tweeted the epic day thing one day ago. Yeah. So you know, I mean. Whatever. Interesting, yeah. It's just kind of interesting that people didn't quite catch on to that. Uh, it's all about the time difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he is... Uh, well, I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, they're different Twitter accounts. But um, to get to the show notes, um, just point your browser at uh, coltmoviespodcast.com and look for... What episode is this? Episode number... Five. Five. There you go. Look for episode number five. Um, but back to Sherlock. Back to Sherlock. Um, very pleased. Very, very happy. And uh, related cult movies uh, tidbit is that the guy who plays Sherlock, Benedict Cumberbatch, has been cast by J.J. Abrams in the next Star Trek movie. Yes. It, it seems like things are really starting to break uh, Mr. Cumberbatch's way. Which is sure. hilarious because his name is Cumberbatch. I know. Uh, <laughs> I think Abrams made the joke that it was like, "How do you not cast a guy with a name like that?" You know, pretty much. Uh, you know, I just saw him. Uh, he was in uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and he was he was really good in that. His his role is kind of small, important, but small. Um, he he may be he may spend more of the movie out of focus than in focus because mm. he's in the background of a lot of shots. Gotcha. Wasn't wasn't he also in Warhorse? Didn't I see that? Yes, right. yes, he was in Warhorse, um, and he's also going to be in The Hobbit. Um, As whom? Well, he's going to. We had heard that he was playing the voice of Smog, oh. but recently uh, he was. I think it was somewhere, I think he was on the War Horse or the Tinker Tailor spy junket, one of those mm-hmm. two junkets, and people got, you know, that's the same day the uh, the Star Trek news uh, broke, and he right. started talking about it, and he, you know, joked that there was a lawyer there to make sure he didn't say anything, right. and that, you know, then they asked him about The Hobbit, and he joked that there was a lawyer making sure he couldn't say anything about that either, uh, but apparently they need to get a bigger lawyer, because... Uh, when he talked about The Hobbit, he did drop something that we hadn't heard before, which is that he's also playing the necromancer. Oh. Um, so for, Interesting. Yeah, for people who aren't total Tolkien nerds, um, the necromancer is mentioned briefly in The Hobbit as the reason why Gandalf leaves the, the dwarves and, and Bilbo at one point. Right. Um, and... Uh, and uh, in Lord of the Rings, Tolkien revealed that the necromancer was actually Sauron in disguise. Right. So the other thing that Cumberbatch dropped was that the necromancer is going to be involved in the Battle of the Five Armies. Really? Yes. So, <laughs> um, well, I mean, presumably he'd be leading the goblins. I mean, it, it, it's not something which was mentioned in The Hobbits, but it doesn't really... You know, it doesn't really... Uh... I suppose it's not entirely out of character, but, you know, the goblins were led by the goblin king. Yeah. Who was well, who was slain at the... Never mind. Okay, we yes. are... This is super nerd territory. <laughs> well, I mean, there's no reason why the necromancer can't be there, too. Okay. Um, you know, the necromancer could be leading the goblins, too. 
Um, or he may be, you know, some other way involved. But uh, Okay, you know what? We said we were going to keep this episode short, but I kind of feel like <laughs> we have to veer into some territory here. Yes. I watched the Lord of the Rings movies again, I guess about two years ago, um, in a kind of marathon session all on, you know, the extended edition DVDs. And I came away from it with the feeling that they had not aged well at all. Really? Yeah, I'm actually not a fan of those movies anymore. I was a, a pretty decent fan of them when they came out and really enjoyed them in the theater. But having watched them again relatively recently, I was miserable throughout those movies. I was like, how did I think this stuff was good at all? And I wonder if your perception of them has changed. Um, I watched them, all three of them, last month. Uh-huh. And I still love them. Yeah. So. They drive me crazy. Um, are they out on Blu-ray yet? Yes. Okay. So my chance to sell my DVD box sets has, has passed. But... Way gone. I gave mine away. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, not, not a fan. I just... Uh, I'm not going to go into detail why, because I haven't organized my thoughts around them. But um, I don't know. Get off my lawn. I guess I'm getting old. <laughs> I think so. Um, I'm excited. I, you know, I will go see the movie. Um, if nothing else, it has, you know, some of my favorite actors in it. Um, but changes like that, you know, wear me down. For me, I mean, I think the the best and only adaptation of Tolkien's work that really works is the original animated Hobbit. Uh-huh. And I'm assuming by the original animated Hobbit, you mean the one in 1977? The, the Rankin-Bass adaptation. Okay. Yes. As the original animated Hobbit, we've since found out, was actually done like in 1969. I've, I've never seen that. Um, well, no one was supposed to. It was a... Uh, it was uh it's like 14 minutes long or so and it was done specifically to hold on to the rights i see um so it it has minimal minimal animation it's only 14 minutes long um it's uh it got out recently the the person who uh, who did it i think put it up on the web for everyone to see we should we should link to that because it is pretty funny okay you were telling me about the Criterion editions of the uh, the original Godzilla. Yes, and there is some controversy there. I have not heard about this. Tell me, tell me all about it. Well, the the controversy. I mean, I think this is kind of silly, but the controversy is actually over the cover art. Um, that the cover art shows not so much Godzilla as he appears in the movie Godzilla, but more of a much later incarnation of Godzilla. Are we talking how many years later? Uh, like from the from around 2002. Really? Yes. Okay. And so have we derived you know derived? No. Have we divined I think that's the right word. Where th- this change came about, and well, the, the change came about from uh, uh, from the artist, uh, Bill Sinkiewicz, did the okay. did the uh, cover. I see. So it's not like a, a still from one of those movies. No, 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 no. It, it's not. It's it's a it's a 
an original piece of art by Sinkiewicz. I mean, you know Bill Sinkiewicz. He's a right. he's comic book artist. Yep. You know, he back, did a lot of the the New Mutant stuff. Yeah, back New in Mutants. The day. Uh, he did uh, oh, what Electra for the Electra series with Frank Miller. Didn't he do like the he did the covers for the initial run of Sandman? Or maybe the entire run of Sandman. No, no, that that was Dave McKean. Well, I don't know that there's there's much to say. I mean, I mean, looking at the uh, looking at the uh, at the uh, the artwork, and it's got it's basically got like kind of a fold out thing where Godzilla's head pops out at the top. It, it looks like Sinkiewicz may have used a 2002 Godzilla as a as a base, and then has kind of uh, textured it up to look more like the 1954 Godzilla. He's also done something to the jaw. Which I don't know. It looks like he may have taken that from like the 1955 Godzilla. Um, you know, I think it's I think it's fine. Um, you know, it gets the it gets the idea across of it being Godzilla. It is Bill Sinkiewicz. His stuff is not necessarily realistic or logical. Um, you know, it's often very nice. Uh, you know, it's more pretty or uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Abstract. Um, so you know, it's lots of fire and and stuff melting in the background. I think it's fine. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where they got an artist to do an interpretation and um, he put in the entire history of Godzilla the icon as opposed to a literal interpretation of the Godzilla costume from this movie. I, it looks yeah. fine to me. You're, you were right. Bill uh, Sinkiewicz did not contribute as much to Sandman as I thought he did. Yeah. Um, uh, it's just you know. that all that funky, weird stuff, which I guess is um, uh, Sam Keith, is it? Uh, uh, no, you mean the covers, I think, was Dave McKean. Dave McKean. But the the in, other artists listed are Sam Keith and... Sam Keith I, did the original, but um, I think it was Dring, Dringenberg or something who did most of it. Mike Dringenberg. Dringenberg. And Kelly Jones did... One arc, stuff like right, that. Right, right. Art by Sam Keith and, and Mike Dringenberg. So, okay. My yeah. my bad. Um, it's been but, a long time since I've read. Yeah, I mean, Criterion, yeah, Criterion has been using comic book artists for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Dar- Darwin Cook, I think, has done quite a few covers for him, for them. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Bill Sinkiewicz has done other ones. Yeah, could very well be. Um, I don't have a problem with this. Yeah, I... Again, it's 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 an artistic choice, and people just need to get over themselves. Vote with your dollars, people. Yeah, if you I mean, don't the, like it, don't buy it. The Blu-ray is going to be pretty awesome. So I'm sure, I'm sure they've. You know, I've I've looked at the the uh, graphic comparisons. Did we mention this in a previous episode? Or no? I don't think so. Okay, I, I will link to the um to both the cover image and the um the comparisons of the um the image quality between the different versions i mean criterion i don't know how much of this the average person is going to see on their flat screen television of about 30 inches but you know there really is a a fidelity difference between you know previous dvd editions and and what you see here yeah i mean i'm assuming that they probably just if if in anything if they turn down the grain somewhat it's probably gonna, yeah, really start to pop. Yeah, it's it's a matter of contrast of just being able to see fine details that exactly, yeah, you know, yeah. 
Anyway, I mean, to some extent, it actually looks like you know they've they've dialed the contrast back so that it, you know, um, you know, when you turn the contrast on your computer monitor, if people even do that anymore, um, where things get blown out or super dark, and they've sort of brought it back to where it's not quite so. Anyway, you can see it yeah, for yourself so, in the link. Yeah, so you can actually see details in the darkness and in the shadows. <laughs> yeah, that you couldn't before. Cool. Speaking of, of things reissued on Blu-ray, um, looks like, I guess it's all of the Bond films, including the films that haven't been released yet on Blu-ray, are now all going to be out in this one ginormous box set. They're calling the Bond 50. Yeah. So for the 50th anniversary. Right. Um, and that's that's pretty cool to you know to to have them all available on Blu-ray. Um, apparently, they haven't done a lot of remastering, but they've you know put them on Blu-ray with the best prints they could lay their hands on. So that's you know, yeah. Too shabby. I, are there any ones that haven't been out on Blu-ray already? Uh, apparently, nine of the twenty-two films have not really? been on. Yeah. Oh, um, okay. And there's uh, no um, indication at the moment. Um, that those titles are going to be available as individual issues. I mean, not issues, but individual titles. Gotcha. So the films that are not yet available are Goldeneye, Octopussy, Spy Who Loved Me, You Only Live Twice, which is my favorite Bond movie ever, um, The Living Daylights, Tomorrow Never Dies, Diamonds Are Forever, A View to a Kill, and On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Okay. Um, those films are not yet available on Blu-ray in any way, shape, or form. Hmm. Um, and Interesting. They will be included in the box set, but MGM just hasn't. Well, number one, there's no release date set for this set. Um, probably third or fourth quarter. Probably around the time that the movie is going to be coming out. Right. Um, uh, Skyfall. Right. The list price is three hundred dollars. So you're going to get it for two hundred. Right. The 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 Amazon pre-order uh, thing is, is $199.99. Um, so that, that brings us back to one of our earliest topics in, in this run of the podcast, which is, should you bother buying physical media from anything? <laughs> um, well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, for something like Bond movies, they do look awfully good on Blu-ray, sure. I will say. Sure. Um, I have I have a few of them on, on Blu-ray. Um, you know, right now download just doesn't really seem to be quite there yet. Well, and, and the main issue with download is, especially with the copy protection and whatnot that's out there. What guarantee do you have that a digital? I mean, you don't. This is the thing. You don't have that guarantee with anything. You didn't have it with VHS. You didn't. You didn't have it with DVD. Like, theoretically, DVD will go the way of, of of VHS. You'll just have you know players out there that won't play this physical media anymore. Um, I came across a zip disk today. <laughs> a yes. zip disk. I'm never getting whatever data was on that zip disk off. No. It's, like, it's not worth it to me to go back and find a zip drive. And even if I did, it would probably be scuzzy, you know? <laughs> I don't have anything that plugs scuzzy. Like, the last computer I had that, that did scuzzy, I think I bought in 1998. 
I, there are people listening who don't even know what SCSI is. Yes. I, I hope. I hope they're really young enough to not know SCSI is who's listening to this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of the dilemma at this point is like, how many times are we going to end up buying these movies over and over again? And will there not just be a point where the cloud has all that? And when we want to watch it, we either have a subscription to get to it or we pay, you know, the three dollars to watch it that one time and not sink, you know, this is 22 movies. So you're basically paying 10 bucks per film. Now, I don't know about you, but even with the 22 films that are here, there's no way I would watch each of them, you know, three or four times to offset the, the presumably $3 cost per viewing to rent them. You know? Yeah. I mean, that is true. Um, you know, if you're if you're really into the, the picture quality, and I kind of am, it might be it might be worth it. That being said, I'm not going to be buying this box set simply because I've bought some of those on Blu-ray already. Right. I mean, the only film in this set I would be interested in actually owning is You Only Live Twice. Mm-hmm. And, and presumably that will be available as an iTunes rental or download or whatever. I mean, you know. Maybe. It's my favorite Bond film, but I probably haven't watched it in 10 years. Yeah. I tend to watch Bond movies a little bit more often than that, but... Uh... Well, don't we all just watch them when they come on TBS uh, anyway? <laughs> yeah. I don't. So, or so do we not but... watch them, but watch half of them interrupted <laughs> by commercials every 10 minutes? Yes. No. I, um, I mean, I just watched Diamonds Are Forever like four days ago mm-hmm. uh, because I realized I hadn't seen that one in quite some time. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's going to be a tough thing. Just the, my problem right now is that there is so much that is not available anywhere. I don't know that the Bond movies are on iTunes or Netflix. They are on iTunes. They are? Some of them. Some of them. Um, I may kill the Skype connection by doing this, but I'll open iTunes and take a look and see what's, what's available. Uh, hopefully, they'll be easily searchable by like 007 or something. Yeah. But um, I'd, I'll take a quick look. But, you know, I mean... This is sort of the dilemma that we've we've gone back to um, a couple times over the last five episodes. It's, you know, as collectors, we like having these things on a shelf, and we like to be able to look at them and say, I've got all the Bond films that ever were right there in a box set, and isn't that cool? And, you know, as people with limited space, you know, the idea of not having to devote that shelf space to it is, is really attractive. True, true. But there's the, you know, do I really own it? Did I just pay $10, to own something that might go away someday when the iTunes store shuts its, you know, it's, it's, it's a, I don't know. I'm a lot less worried about that with Apple. I, I think Apple's going to be okay. But uh, you're probably it, right. Um, you know, it's it, some of the other con- con- country companies like Netflix. I'm a little bit more worried about, but uh, um, okay, yeah. James Bond. Here we go. You search for Bond, and you get six films. Okay. Uh, Quantum of Solace, Casino Royale, the 2006 version, obviously. Uh, Golden Eye, Doctor No, The World Is Not Enough, and Goldfinger. Yeah. Um, and they are available for purchase 
um, for, for, for like 10, twenty. Ten to twenty bucks. Yeah. Um, golden. The it looks like if they're in, available in standard def, they're ten bucks, um, or three bucks to rent if you can rent them. You can't rent either Casino Royale or Quantum of Solace. And see, that's what's so frustrating about it. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that's just the the movie studios figuring themselves out. Yeah. Uh, that has nothing to do with, with what Apple wants to do. That's just, you know. No, I'm, I'm sure if Apple had their, their choice, they'd be putting absolutely everything yeah. they possibly could up there. You know, ditto Netflix. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Netflix, uh, this is probably something we should talk about next episode, but Netflix just agreed to, or maybe, was it Netflix who agreed to pretty onerous terms about the, the Warner Brothers window? Like, it's going to be even longer before you can get Warner Brothers movies through Netflix. It, uh, I don't quite remember reading that, but it's probably true. <laughs> well, I mean, basically, um, I believe what happened is they, they ended the discounted um, discs to to Netflix. Like, the, the discs get sold at, at high retail until after the window. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it just means that all of these, you know, subscription model things you know it's just going to be longer and longer before you can get them you know you know a cheaply rentable form and it's i don't know it just seems so delusional to me that that you know in this case warner brothers thinks well if we just push that window out farther more people will buy the will buy the disc and i really don't think that's going to happen i would agree with that um you know, I think the people who want to buy it, like me, are going to make that decision pretty soon after it comes out. Right. And if it's something that I was going to buy anyway, I'm, I'm going to even if I wait, I'm still going to, I'm still probably going to buy it. I don't know if that's necessarily the the conclusion that they come to. I think that's sort of the obvious, like, oh, they're doing this because they think they'll get more people to buy it. No, I'm not sure that's it. I think maybe. It's they're looking to make more money off of the higher end rentals, like the three to five dollar rentals on the PlayStation Store and the Xbox Store and iTunes, because um, they can command higher prices there for longer before it becomes available as part of your one dollar a night Redbox rental or your, you know, part of my subscription Netflix, Netflix plan, yeah. you know. I wanted to see X-Men First Call, or First Class, not First Call. First Call would be pretty good, though. <laughs> X-Men Last Call. Uh, that was, that was the Wolverine that. scene. Right, right. Um, I wanted to see that pretty pretty quickly after it was available. And I, I paid, you know, three ninety nine or whatever it was to rent it on, I think I did it on iTunes. I might have done it on the uh, the Sony PlayStation Store. At any rate, you know. That was one bit where they got me. I was like, I want to see this now, and I don't want to wait for it. I don't want to wait a month for it to be available on Redbox or whatever. So, so you know what would be a fun Netflix game? Uh, if you just, you know, you start with a movie, and, you know, some random movie, and you start watching it, and, like, at some point everyone in the in the room can vote it down. But then... You know, the next person has to choose a movie that's in the uh, that's in the suggested based on this movie, oh. and then you start playing that movie. 
interesting. Because I practically do that anyway half the time. Right, right, I'm right. going movie, 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 and then I end up in some really scary places. Yeah. Uh, half my queue is full of television shows anymore. Yeah. Most of them British. Um, yeah, I was going through uh, Buck Rogers. You, oh, God. That's <laughs> really terrible. <laughs> but, you know, every episode has guest stars. Yes, yes, it does. Yes, it does. It's all—it's almost like the love boat. It's really bad. It, it's but, the love boat in space. They actually did that. Remember, like the the last season was them on a on a ship that like was going somewhere. Remember? Uh, yeah, that was like the searcher. I haven't gotten that far yet. Yeah, but that was like their final season, wasn't it? Yeah, they only had the two. Right, but it, uh, really? Yeah, there was only two seasons. Wow! Wow! Okay, link to Buck Rogers' Wikipedia page. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, it was that there was an actor strike in the middle, so that's what kind of kind of did did that series in. Yeah, killed apparently killed a lot of series that you know they they all went out the air for a year or whatever, six months, whatever the strike was. Uh, Have you seen the the article with um, Daniel Craig where he talks about um, what the writer strike did to Quantum of Solace? Yes, yeah, I did see that. Um, I'll link to that because apparently something similar happened there. We always we all wondered why Quantum Solace sucks so much, and now we know. Yeah, you know, honestly, I don't think I don't think that was the biggest problem that Quantum Solace had was the script. But no. I just didn't think the action scenes were any good in that one. Yeah, I, well, they really didn't do anything for me. Yeah. So when I was I was actually kind of doing the Netflix roulette thing, and I. I don't remember what the name of the movie it was I I, I landed on, but it uh, starred Kurt Angle, who the synopsis helpfully explained to me is a wrestler. And uh, the other lead was Jennifer Muscova or something like that, that the synopsis helpfully explained to me was a, uh, uh, a contestant on Survivor at some point. So you have two non-actors... <laughs> In the uh-huh. two main roles, that was pretty rough going, I must say. Was it Endgame or Warrior? Uh, probably Endgame. Um, is that one about a serial killer? I don't know. I'm just looking at Google and I see Warrior movie with Nick Nolte, Kurt Angle. That's probably not it. Endgame. Um, Endgame. A serial killer movie that has an Olympic gold medal winning amateur wrestler turned world champion professional wrestler as stalking a sexy ex-survivor contestant. That, that would be the one. Got it. Okay. <laughs> End game. It was, I don't know, it was rough. It was rough. Let me tell you. <sighs> you know, you, when, they, when the two of them, the, those two are in the, the same scene together, they're not so much acting or interacting as waiting for the other person's line to end. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also off of Netflix recently, I I watched uh, a movie called Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man. Because cops aren't, well, never mind. (laughs) Um, it's It's an Italian crime thriller. Okay. And it's illogical and kind of horrible in that way that Italian crime thrillers from the 70s. Right, this is 76? 76, yes. Yeah. Yes, I'm, I'm sure that there are many movies called Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man, but uh, 
Oh, no, I just, you know, Googled for it, and there was the YouTube trailer. I just wanted to make sure I was getting the right one. Yes. Um, the You know, it's kind of like, a, it's like Dukes of Hazard. You know, there's like a... Go on! <laughs> there's, a, there's a blonde cop, and there's a brunette cop. Okay. And uh, <laughs> they are... So Starsky and Hutch, or... Starsky and Hutch, or, you know, one of those. It w- was obviously probably the... Uh, probably the 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 template that they were going for here mm-hmm. even though they both ride the same motorcycle which you know makes like, them seem slightly less manly <laughs> I want to say they ride the motorcycle together yes that is uh, awesome um, and this is available on Netflix you say yes it is uh, so these 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 two are like the most violent horrible cops ever mm-hmm. um uh, there, there's not really any overarching plot to this movie. I mean, there's kind of this thing where they're supposed to be trying to catch this crime lord named Bibi. Uh, I can't remember what his full name was. Something Italian. Mm-hmm. They keep calling him Bibi. So, like, in one scene, they decide that they're going to go to this place where Bibi is at a party. And rather than trying to arrest Bibi or collect any evidence, they decide to set all the cars that are outside of this party on fire. <laughs> so they're so they're like going around with gas tanks splashing every car. And there's this kind of weird bit where they're going, "Oh, look, this is a Ferrari. I'd like this car." And I'm like, "Why are they mentioning what all of these cars are?" You know, here's a Rolls-Royce. And the reason is because they're trying to distract us from the fact that when they when the fire actually starts and the cars are actually on fire, they're not actually the expensive cars. <laughs> Suddenly all the expensive cars disappear. Like there's a Volkswagen bug back there on fire. You, you know, the undercarriage of that Rolls Royce is when you set it aflame, looks exactly like a Ford Fiesta. Exactly. That was pretty funny. The, the one car that they could afford to set on fire was apparently the Rolls Royce. So that was like the only one that was in the front, but all the other ones had clearly turned into cheaper cars. Right. If, if you went around the back of the Rolls Royce, you'd see that it had been totaled on the other side. Pro- probably. It was probably like <laughs> half a Rolls Royce. That is true. They actually only shot it from the from the front. So it may so, have only been see? half the car. See? <laughs> you got to think like a movie maker, Scott. Yes. It's all about illusion. Yeah, that's an illusion. All right. And then there's like, I mean, there's the usual misogynistic scenes that are, that are, Kind of horrible. I don't so Go much want to talk. I don't want to really talk about those. No, you don't. You know, there's to. like a scene with a nymphomaniac that's kind of horrible. But then there's a scene where they're they found out that there's going to be a bank robbery, right? So our heroes, keep in mind, these are our heroes. They are cops. Are kind of like set up shop in like a coffee shop, um, and incidentally, to Italians put an insane amount of sugar in their coffee just regularly because like they're sitting there with these tiny little cups of coffee and on the the coffee place has like this huge thing of sugar on the on the counter and they're just spooning it out of this huge thing i i honestly have never sampled the uh you know what Italian the, Itali- the Italian populace on on their coffee preferences i don't like, know that's you know, it, it looked it looked like diabetes in a cup to me, but uh, so they're so they're kind of staking out at this coffee house, and they're just kind of looking around the thing, you know, looking around the area, and 
you know, I guess the idea is supposed to be that they identify who the bank robbers are, even though there's absolute, we can't tell who might be a bank robber or not. And so then the armored car pulls up, and our heroes put silencers on their gun, walk out into the crowded street. You know, one of them stops in front of this guy who's waiting in a car and shoots him in the face. And then there's another guy reading a paper, and they shoot him in the face. And then finally the bank robbers make their move on the armored truck, and they shoot all three of them dead in the street. And I was like, you're joking. This was like precog that they guessed which guy was the, you know, the guy in the car may have been waiting for his, you know, his daughter to, to get, out of, get out of school or something. It was really pretty horrible. Well, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> like Elizabeth, come over here. We're going to watch a movie. It's about some nice Italian men. So apparently... Uh, as a proud, I'm quoting from a webpage here, which I'll link to. As a proud Italian American and a student of Italian food culture, I can confidently assure you of the following: Italians have an incredible sweet tooth. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a, uh, a an old saying in Florence that goes, and I'm going to murder this. I, I just know it. <laughs> Quando il cucciolo sta a piedi, se abbastanza zucchero nel caffè. Which means when the spoon stands up straight, you've got enough sugar. <laughs> Fair enough. That, that... Uh, I'll, I'll send you this link. But uh, uh, apparently, um, yes, th- there are several historical and cultural reasons that Italians put lots of sugar in their coffee. Um, whether this was some sort of joke or simply a, an accurate representation of Italian culture in this particular movie, I couldn't say. Tell me about this Jet Li movie you sent me a trailer to. Uh, Yes, that Jet Li movie is called Flying Swords of the Dragon Gate, I believe. Is is the... uh, Is the crouching in there anywhere? No, that is not in there. Um, It's uh, it's already come out in in China. It's apparently doing, doing very well. Um, it's directed million yuan. No, it's three hundred million yuan, and probably more by now. Yeah, I have no idea how much money that is, but uh, I'll take the word for it. But uh, it uh, is directed by Choi Hawk, stars Jet Li, who is apparently that whole "I'm not going to do any more wushu movies" thing is uh, is completely out the window now because this is pretty much by definition a wushu movie. This is one of the classic wushu movies. Um, I'm sorry, Wuja movies. Not except Wuxia. that it's in... Um, 3D? Except it's in 3D, right. Sorry. It is in 3D, yes. Um, I don't know if it'll get released over here in 3D at all. I guess we'll see. Um, uh, you know, it. I've got to say, it looks really good. Um, did you ever see uh, the Dragon Gate movie? No. Uh, I guess it was called... I think they released it in the U.S. as Dragon Gate Inn. It was from, like, 1992. Um, starred uh, uh, Tony Leung, Bridget Lin, and Maggie Chung, and Donnie Yen was the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of my favorite one of my favorite martial arts movies. Um, and it's a remake of a movie from the 60s directed by King Hu. 
And um, this movie looks like it's a sequel to New Dragon Gate Inn, mm-hmm. I think. Um, it, it looks like the, uh, the first scene is kind of where Dragon Gate Inn ends, and this would be continuing the story after that point. Um, I think it. I think it's uh, this trailer looks looks pretty darn neat. It does. It does. I, before I saw that it was in 3D, there's a scene of what looks like some some large battering ram type logs coming out of uh, a gate, the Dragon Gate, I guess, um, which sort of signaled like it was such an obvious like. You wouldn't do that in any other kind of movie, I wouldn't think. At least not in the way that that looked. Yeah. It's not like, it, oh, this is in 3D, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's like yeah. off at that three-quarters perspective, so that, mm-hmm. you know, one of them is heading right at the camera, that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. So 300 million yuan is $47.479 million. Wow, that is pretty darn good. Yeah, especially for a film that came out in China. Yeah, in China, that's very large money. It's a lot of, yeah, it's a lot of, lot of yuan. But it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you know, and then when you watch the trailer after it says in 3D, you see a lot of Jet Li sticking his sword into the camera. Yes. An actual sword, not, never mind. Um, yeah. So um, it came out in December in China. It'll be here, what, you figure over the summer? Probably over the summer, if we're lucky. The Dragon Gate story, as I said, it goes back to a movie in the 60s is, you know, pretty famous kind of iconic and i uh i'm really kind of looking forward to uh to seeing what toy hawk does with it yeah well uh what was the name of that original movie i, I think the original was just called dragon gate inn okay um yeah dragon gate is not actually what's in the trailer dragon gate is actually a, a pass in the mountains i see um, so, like, in the trailer, it looks like there's, like, a desert and there's, like, a tornadoes. Mm-hmm. That's probably actually the part that's taking place in Dragon Gate. Got it. Um, incidentally, the scene with the tornadoes looks pretty darn neat. So. Yeah. How many more of these do you think Jet Li's got left in him? Uh, I don't know. I mean, he's definitely he's definitely getting on. Um, well, uh, Christina saw the the Jackie Chan V8 commercial last night and she rolled her eyes and she was like, really Jackie? Really? I'm like, yeah. Hey, you got to pay the bills. Well, I, you know, and he doesn't have much of a, uh, he doesn't have much of a profile in the U S right now. That's true. I mean, I, I don't know. When was the last time he did an American movie? We didn't Uh, cover that last episode where that giant Jackie Chan. Yeah. Um, probably may have been, was it, uh, I mean, just, it wasn't the tuxedo, was it? I think it might've been, might've been the tuxedo. Either that or rush hour three. Okay. Well, if you, Uh, karate kid, karate kid. Yeah. Oh, and karate kid. You're right. That one was actually pretty good. Yeah. And then you can count the Kung Fu Panda movies, I guess, but sort of, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So Kung Fu. Karate Kid was probably pretty good for him. But, yeah, I can understand where he wants to keep his uh, toe in the water, so to speak. Sure. I think that's enough. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, you can find the site at cultmoviespodcast.com. Um, I'm Stomp Tokyo on Twitter. Scott is Scopi, S-C-O-P-I. Um, I think that's all for this time. 
I'm Chris Holland. I'm Scott Hamilton. Thanks for listening.